In Brene Brown's recent book, she references a study on the dangers of loneliness. To help readers understand the severity of loneliness, she quotes this, Living with air pollution increases your odds of dying early by 5%, living with obesity 20%, excessive drinking 30%, and living with loneliness, it increases our odds of dying early by 45%. Today we're discussing a topic that a lot of us don't know how to put words to. To quote Brene Brown, she says, we feel shame around being lonely, as if feeling lonely means there's something wrong with us. This is probably why a lot of us don't talk about it. Today, I'm inviting you into a part of my life where I deal with and have dealt with a lot of loneliness. Welcome to the conversation. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the podcast. If you are thinking to yourself, wait a second, I think I've heard that intro before. You probably have. This uh, is the second time I am publishing this episode because I have this thing about being a perfectionist and I messed up the recording on the first one that was published and I just couldn't let it be. And you know what? It's my podcast and I can do what I want. So I republished it with the more um, appropriate intro, if you will. And now I feel better about it. So, um, and I changed the title because you know I can do that too. So here we go. But if you've already heard this, you can move on past or listen to it again. You do you. Here we go. Good afternoon. Um, If you are tuning in today and it's a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever day it is, happy that day to you. For me, today's a Monday and I left work early today not feeling very good. I am um, and I've had perfect attendance really so far and so I was quite irritated that I had to leave but I started feeling really yucky. So I headed home, uh, which is where I'm at now, and a lot of you are probably like, oh my gosh, you're sick, why the heck are you doing this recording right now? Well, on the way home, um, this point in my journey kept, it's been resonating actually for a couple days, and it's really um, rattling in there, and I kind of feel like I have to get it out of me, which is typically the way things move for me. Usually I get an idea and um, it rattles and rattles and rattles and I am at a state of unrest until I either get it on paper, get it in a blog, or when I was preaching, throw it into a sermon, or for this season of life, talk to you. So, um, So yeah, you know, there's a divine rhythm inside of all of us and I trust that rhythm and so when it strikes, I follow. So today it is rattling and um honestly it's probably a perfect day for me to do this podcast because this is a topic that um I need some space some quiet some good deep thinking time in order to do this is not a throw this out there one and done kind of thing um it's kind of a hard one for me to open up about so I am on my couch underneath a blanket. Kids are at school and um, I've got the house to myself. I'm in my office right now. So I've um, 
looking out the window. I've got some Coke here. I'm sipping on Coke, hoping it settles my stomach. Um, yeah, that's, that's the scene I am setting for you. So perfect opportunity to have this conversation. So what I'm going to talk about today is, um, it was sparked by a posting I put up on my author page on Facebook a little bit ago. I don't know, like maybe a week or two ago. And it, and it sparked a lot of conversation, a lot of interest. And, um, I realized, oh my gosh, a lot of people resonated with this. I thought it was just me. Isn't that so true? Like when you open, when you open up, it's like, you're terrified you're going to be the only one. And then you realize like 90% of the room is opening up and saying, Oh my gosh, I do that too. And you're like, Oh, I'm not crazy. Um, this is one of those conversations. So I don't know why I have such fear in talking about it, maybe because it feels very intimate and personal. Um, but it is a conversation that needs to be had. So the posting that I posted was about loneliness and how I find that loneliness is often a very close friend of people inside of Christian community. And, and it's not for lack of friends. It's not for lack of quote unquote community to be churchy there. Um, not for lack of Bible study or life groups or whatever you call them. Um, it's, it's an inner loneliness because we are terrified of exposing what's really in inside, what we're really thinking, what we're really questioning, what we're really doubting, what we're really struggling with, um, what we're really afraid of. Because when we open up that door, it seems like all of a sudden there's all these people that want to fix you. And they want to correct you or they want to shame you or Bible verse away you or Christian conference you or um, send you to classes. You know, it's, it, because you feel like all of a sudden you're in a project category and you moved away from friend to now project. No one wants to feel like they're a project. And so a lot of people and myself included, a lot of people learn pretty early on, unless you enjoy being a project. I mean, I guess some people like that, but most people learn early on to put on the mask when they are at church or when they're with their Christian friends, because as long as the mask is on of, I'm okay, I'm good. Things are good. Yeah. Yeah. God is good. All the blessings, all the good things. You got your little prayer request that makes you look a little bit vulnerable. So no one asks too many questions and then you move on. Um, that's, that's a pretty safe bet that will help you stay off of the fix it radar truthfully. And if you want to ever be a leader yourself one day, it, you've got a better chance. You look like you got your stuff in order, look like you got your stuff together. So, um, that is something that a lot of people fall into and begin to believe as normal. Hi. <sighs> so, um, first of all, it's not okay. It shouldn't be normal. And I'm really sorry that that is the system because that's a broken system and it shouldn't be that way. So, um, Right, here we go. When I was younger, I was homeschooled a lot. Um, I also 
was in public school for a little bit. I also was in private school for a little bit. I have, I like to call a very well-rounded perspective on all forms of education, Christian education, secular education, you know, like I have my hand in all of it and, um, did the new school thing a couple times. So I, you know, I got the hang of change, never grew to like change, never grew to do great inwardly with change. But on the outside, I learned to adapt. And part of adapting for me was learning how to blend in. I think that's a survivalistic thing that happens when you're younger and in school, like you don't want to stick out. You want to blend in. And I learned how to do that. And so um, being younger and being homeschooled, that made made for a lot of lonely days and not, not that I didn't have friends. It's not like I was in some sort of like weird colonial, you know, when you say homeschool, a lot of people get this picture of like handmade clothes and like a farm and colonial type attire and things happening. Now there are people like that and, and I'm certainly not, you know, belittling or diminishing that. But that was not me. That was not my story. We were very mainstream, very normal type family. Just happened to not go to school all the time. So was homeschooled. And when you spend the majority of your childhood homeschooled, you usually have a smaller amount of friends versus like a public education. And a lot of them typically are inside of a faith community. Most of which are probably homeschooled as well. So that provided a lot of time alone. <laughs> it truthfully did. And um, I will share more about that in a later episode. But I, I spent a lot of time alone. And this created the foundation for what I grew to be as a life source for me with my time with God. Um, he was my very best friend through high school. And he was... Um, the only person I felt I could really talk to because even as a teenager, this same idea of having to not be vulnerable and having to not be fully exposed and not really say what you're thinking or questioning or doubting or fearing or scared of, um, that's true for teenagers too, inside of a more, um, evangelical type community It's very normal. And so I learned that. I learned to blend. And blending inside of the church community meant not free thinking. Um, I love to question. I love to say my own opinions. I love to say, well, that's cool that you got that from that scripture, but I got something totally different. This is what I think it means, right? Like my brain naturally is a free thinking, problem solving brain. I'm just, I'm made that way. And so I'm not one that just because I'm told something is something will believe that that something is something. I want to dig. I want to figure out, well, why? Why do you say that that is the way it is? And why are we told to think this way, right? Like I'm, I'm made that way. So I learned early on in youth group when I would question or um, oppose certain things that I felt were very wrong mainly things that had to do with excluding others or, um, not hanging out with people. I remember the don't be unequally yoked verse was thrown around quite often in youth group, especially when people were dating, they love to use that verse. Um, and I just, 
I felt there was an injustice about that. I felt like that was not at all what that verse meant. And shaming somebody who was in a um, relationship with another person that they genuinely cared about would never be something that I think God would be okay with. However, saying those things got me on the radar. You know what I mean? Like it got me on this like, not watch list. That sounds like too intense. Not like that, but more like, well, we better, we better, you know, make sure she doesn't go too wild with this train of thought she's on. I mean, grace and all that's good, but she's pushing the boundaries. Um, and my friends responded to me that way. It wasn't just my youth pastor. Actually, my youth pastor was fantastic. It was more my friends that after we'd have conversations like that would love to point out my error in scripture and want to push me to think differently. And, um, you know, none of it was bad. None of it felt shame filled, but all of it came with this underlying current of you better get in order and you better blend in. We all think this way. You better think this way. We all behave and act this way. Join in the group. Like, don't be weird. Don't be different. Um, And so I learned that a lot of my inner dialogue needed to be kept to myself. And from that point on, a lot of it was. I also, um, being that I am, I'm sure none of you could tell this about me. I love deep processing. I love rich conversation. I love being very intimate um, in relationship with people. I do not do surface well at all. So if you're going to be my friend, like we go deep. I got to know all the stuff. I don't like just knowing surface you. I want to know like real ugly, messy, dirty you. Like I like that. I feel connected. I feel, um, that's how I, we all long for connection. That's my way of connecting. I connect well that way. So I longed for that. And, um, that's a natural longing. And I remember having a friend, I think it was middle school age ish. Um, and of course I was homeschooled at the time. So I didn't have many friends to pick from, but I had this friend and we went to church together and, um, I, I felt frustrated because I couldn't get past her surface layer. Now I was a young kid, so I didn't have the, the verbiage that I have now to tell you why I felt I needed that, but I felt I needed that because I'm made that way. And so, and then she was like my only good friend to pick from. So like she was the only possible candidate for me to have rich conversation with. So when she didn't call me back, I was freaking out. And, um, I felt like we just needed to talk more. We need to get through stuff. Right. So none of this was bad, but I remember my, one of my parents telling me, you know what, Anna, you're, you're being kind of like codependent. Like this is not healthy. Like you shouldn't need to talk to someone this much and you shouldn't need this close of a relationship. Like not until you're married. And I was like, oh. And so that ignited in me this realization that something was wrong with me because I craved connection that was real and that that was frowned upon unless I was married and it was inside of marriage. And so, you know, I'm saying this out loud and it sounds so strange to me, like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine thinking that way now. But at the time in the season of life I was in as a kid, you just, 
you take what you're told and you do your best to adapt and obey and find your way, right? And so I took that in and I was like, okay, something's wrong with me. This is not a good thing. We've got to fix this. And so from that point on, I was very cautious to, like I said, keep the inner parts of me unseen and keep the the need for rich connection unmet. And um, I was very careful to not get close to people, specifically women, because, you know, as a girl, all my friends were girls. And so, um, and boys were reserved for future husbandship. And so for me, getting close with another girl could be bad if it was too intimately connected emotionally because that could be codependency and um that's not good and so I I didn't want to be not good I didn't want to be wrong and so I I withdrew fast very fast in fact and I never came out again until um gosh until within the last few years to be honest with you um that's we'll get to that later but I I just learned to, to use the phrase of someone I heard write this, the art of being lonely. Like I learned how to do that and I learned how to do it really well. Um, always keeping myself being needed, but not needing always, um, allowing someone to confide in me, but not really fully confiding back, always digging with somebody and helping them process, but not really allowing anyone to help me process. Um, taking that role in every relationship I was in believing that, well, one day I'll get married and I'll have that companionship and all will be well. And unfortunately, you know, that book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye came out when I was in high school. For those of you um, people who remember that winner, um, and actually I, you know, I know that the author has retracted a lot of what he said in that book, so I will go easy on him. But um, boy, those of us that read it, like, we held, I mean, that was like true blue for us. It was, heck yeah, I'm kissing, dating, goodbye, courtship, here we come. I will only date for the purpose of getting married. So I didn't allow myself to have many guy friends. You know, I, again, I was looking at men for only the purpose of getting married because that's what I was told I was supposed to do. And I was only looking at girls to, you know, make sure everyone else was okay because I couldn't, allow myself to get close to them because then I might need them too much. And so it it left me in this space of having a lot of friends. Um, as I graduated high school, I did have a good group of friends, but I was not really ever seen or really known, nor did I know I was allowed to be. And so I think a lot of us in a in adulthood Christian uh, community feel the same thing. I'm just giving you the foundation because this has been in me for my entire life. So um, I feel like I have a lot to say on this topic for that reason. But so I go into adulthood and I, I meet, I say adulthood lightly. Okay. I was 16 when I met my first husband, 16 people. I graduated from high school at 16 because I was homeschooled and wanted to be out and done. And so I did my time and I did, I was done and I met him and I, you know, I kissed dating goodbye people. I was not dating. I was on a husband hunt and, um, and I was lonely. You know, this is after spending lots of time in my room with my Bible, with my journal, 
with only talking to my boyfriend, Jesus. I I kissed dating goodbye, but Jesus was my boyfriend, I swear to God, for like eight years. (laughs) He was it, man. He was it. And then I decided to see other people. So I started dating my first husband in the hopes of courtship and marriage, which is what it turned into. And I was so excited. We got married when I was 18. And I was so excited to A finally be on my own. But B, I was so excited to be known. Like I had this like, oh my gosh, someone will finally like, it's their job, right? Like it's a husbandly duty to invest emotionally in your wife. Like it's like he's committing in front of all these people to be that for me. And I will finally have a close friend that I can be intimately like exposed with. And I'm, I'm using the word intimate a lot. I don't mean that physically, just to make sure we're on the same page. I mean intimately as far as emotionally, mentally, spiritually, which are three very, very important components that you should have before you ever even think about a physical component. Um, Gosh, those first three are vital. So I was so excited about that. And, you know, we dated and, and I'm trying to learn how to be like friends with a guy like past just looking at them going to be my, you know, future husband. Like it was weird. I was not really set up well for that. Um, So I go into marriage with these grandiose expectations and yet it fell pretty flat um, fast. That marriage turned toxic very early and um, it turned abusive pretty early. And I'll talk about that. um, I think in the next episode, I talk about that. Um, a little bit more, but that's not the point. The point of me bringing that up is I stepped into a role of a lot of confusion, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of betrayal, and a whole lot of loneliness. Um, I remember when things would get really tense, um, in that relationship and get really hard, I would, I would go in the bathroom and I'd lock the door and I'd sit on the floor sometimes for most of the night and I would just cry and do something I knew how to do, which was be alone. And I would sit there and I would, um, pray and pray and pray and pray and pray to my, you know, then best friend of (laughs) most of my life, which would be that inner voice I connected with so well with God. And, um, I would just pray to make it to the next day. And I did that a lot. And I remember towards the end, the pain I was going through was so much to bear. Like it was heavy and hard and suffocating a lot of the time. And I, um, didn't have I hadn't developed that intimacy of friendships that I needed for a time like that because I was scared of being codependent because I was set up to, you know, want this and only a spouse. Well, that wasn't happening with my spouse and the opposite was happening with my spouse. There was no intimacy in that department. There was no connection and I was scared and alone and betrayed and hurting and didn't know what to do. Mind you, during all of this, I'm becoming a youth leader um, and like 
counseling other people. Um, I remember walking another marriage through like a marriage crisis. Like I was hands-on giving, giving, giving everywhere. But here I was with no one, again, not allowing myself to be seen or known or fed in any sort of way what I needed, which made for a really, really lonely place. And I, you know, there's something to be said about physical touch. It's, it was so frowned upon in the community I grew up in, like, like when you're dating, I remember, I don't even know if the youth pastors still say this. Maybe they do. I didn't. When I was a youth pastor, I was like, I will never say that. But I remember youth pastors saying, if you're on a date with a girl, make sure you have a Bible in between you. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is scary stuff, man. Like you really can't get like physically close to a guy. Like your body might explode, right? Like, you know, you're just, you're given so much fear about this whole physical touch thing. And same with girls. Like we encourage, they encourage side hugs. All my girlfriends and I, we, we did the side hug thing. And I remember thinking, but like, I could have a friend crying or something. I'm like, but I kind of want to like hug her, hug her. Like she's crying, you know, but that was, you know, don't want to be codependent. We don't want you to get too close. Save that for marriage. Well, okay. That works great in La La Land. Like we are not, let me just say, we are not designed to be alone. We are not designed to carry pain alone. We are not designed to hurt alone. We are not designed to cry alone. We are not made that way. We're not. We need each other. We need people. We need community. We need physical affection. It's, it's the way we're made. And nothing about that is shameful. Nothing. Nor is there anything to fear. I already hear a lot of people going, well, well, you know, we don't want our kids getting too close. I mean, they might have sex. That's always the fear. Dear God, what if they have sex? Well, dear God, what if they grow up never knowing how to be needed or how to need? What if they grow up never having anybody to confide in? What if they grow up and land in an abusive relationship like I did and have no one to comfort them when they're scared? Or they've been betrayed and they have no one to hold them when, as they cry. Like, I think that's a greater tragedy than having sex with somebody. Sorry, I do. I take back the sorry. Scratch the sorry. <sighs> okay, that moment's done. Moving on. So, um, at the end of that relationship, um, bathroom moments, that's where I left off. Yes, I was in the bathroom towards the end of, of my marriage. And I, I learned to do this thing because I, again, didn't have any buddy to like hold me when I cried. And my husband at the time didn't, certainly didn't do that. Um, nor did I have practice doing that with friends. And I, you know, I just didn't have that type of friendship set up anywhere. And so I remember, um, I would like put my body in the corner of a, of the bathroom to where I could feel both walls on both sides of my shoulders. And I put my arms around myself and I would press into the wall and it kind of felt like I was being held. And that, um, Those were some really hard moments, but I learned to be soothed that way. I I remember imagining like God holding me or something like that, but I, like that, that need to be held, that need to be loved was so 
big and it was such a huge void, um, in my life really. And, um, I remember doing that a lot. Um, and so you skip through, you know, a very, very hard yucky divorce and then you, um, move me into what it, what I would call like round two of adulthood for me. I became a single mom, did that thing. That's for a whole nother story. Um, met my next husband, Zach, and, and we got married. And, and again, I, I didn't know this was a thing to be truthful with you. I was still in this mindset of being lonely until you find your spouse. And so I was like on a spouse hunt again. I wanted a family. I wanted that for my daughter. I wanted that for me. I wanted I wanted to be understood. I wanted to be seen. I wanted to be connected. We all long for connection. And so I get married again and things were not always easy, but they weren't always hard either. You know, it was a much um, healthier relationship in a lot of ways, but, um, the one thread that was similar was that there was not much connection either. And so, you know, here I am again, getting married, thinking, okay, I'm going to finally have that friend. I'm going to finally have that, that place where I can be open and vulnerable and this is good. And, and it didn't happen. And I remember a couple years ago, um, things in my marriage were getting pretty bad. And I, like, um, I've said, I think I said in the first episode, there were a handful of people that went through that with me. They knew. Um, and one of them was like, you know, I just come over, like, just, I, it was my birthday. It's a really hard birthday. And I was <sighs> crying and I called, which was hard for me to do because I don't like crying in front of people. I don't do that. I don't need, right? Like this is still the mantra in Anna's head. Um, and I was like, fine, I'll come over, but I didn't want to, like nothing in me wanted to. In fact, I had sheer terror of being in a position to need. It terrified me because from the time I was young, that was wrong. And so I, I get to their house and I knock on the door and I remember as I'm walking up to the door, something in me, which I would call God, um, was pushing me like, be vulnerable, be open, let yourself let down. And I was just fighting it. It terrified me. I felt like I was going to throw up, like it was awful. And I get to the door and they open the door and within two seconds, I am just sobbing. Like, like, I don't even think they knew what to do. Like they open the door and I'm standing there. And within a second, like all these tears just come. It was just like ugly cry, full blown, hot mess. Oh my gosh. Anna is on my doorstep, a mess. That that was a real thing. It really happened. And I, she kind of like guided me in and brought me in and I just was bawling. And she tried to hug me and my whole body bristled. I didn't know it was bristling. I was just being me. And she was like, have, have you never been held while you cry? And my whole being just broke. And I was like, no. And you know, 
having, I've always had a life where I've had good friends. I've been married twice at this point. And to say that the relationships that I've been in that were supposed to be intimately safe did not provide safety for me in that. It's really sad. Um, I never had anyone want to hold me when I cried. I mean, besides being a little kid, right? Like in my, in my adolescent and adult life, the groups I was in, that was, again, that wasn't what we did. And, um, in the marriages I've been in, that was not what my husband's were interested in doing. And so, you know, no, I was like, no, I have not been held while I cry. And like, God was just so present. And I remember him saying like, let yourself be held. Like, let yourself be comforted. Now I had no problem comforting other people. Like bring me all the criers. I think I have a, um, a really like deep, deep space in my heart for people who are hurting. I want to be a comforter. I want to, to embrace and hold and nurture and make things feel safe. I think because I've, I've lacked feeling that in my life. And so I have no problem being a giver. I just had never been a receiver or felt like I had permission to be a receiver of that. And so when God was like telling me, let yourself be held, I just, I broke. And I, and I remember, like, I will never forget that moment um, of being held really for the first time while I cried, like really held and really allowing myself to receive that and how powerful that was. Um, that awakened a conversation in me, an inner dialogue with God and I as to the realization that that need had never been met. And that was something I had felt shame for and in trouble for needing my whole life. Again, adolescence on. From that conversation with my, with my dad about that, like it just, it stuck. And I, and to my dad's credit, he's a wonderful dad. I mean, he didn't mean any shame or anything ill about that, but this was, you know, this was the environment and the culture that we were in. And that was, he was doing with what he knew was, was doing the best he could with what he believed was right. And I certainly do not fault him for that. I'm a parent now. Oh my gosh. Like, whew, I'm already saving money for my kids therapy. Like, good golly. So there's no shame or anything there. It's just, it's the culture we were in. Um, and so having that said from that conversation on, you know, this was something that was just kind of expected to to not need. And so after that moment with my friend and I just, I, my head spun because I was like, what have we done in a culture that, that is supposed to be come as you are, all who are weary, Christ will give you rest. And we're supposed to be the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus. Oh my gosh. Like, can there be any more Christian songs about being the hands and feet? Well, that includes allowing people to need each other and not being afraid of that. But we have made all these rules and regulations and fear things about about being connected as, as a human race. And, and connection is one of the most powerful things 
about us. You know, I, I think a lot, um, and I, and I know I will reference this a lot when you guys hear me is that we are made in the image of God. And I hold so I believe every human walking this planet are made in the image of God. And when you look at God, he is not an independent being. He is a very codependent being. You have, when you look at the Trinity, there's God, there's the Holy Spirit, there's Jesus, and the three of them don't operate outside of each other. It's like a moving thing, three in one. And so this idea that we're supposed to be independent until marriage, and then all of a sudden you step into the powerful three-corded strand. What do they say? So like a cord of three strands cannot be broken. That God, your husband, and you, that is the ultimate thing. Well, that would be great. That would be wonderful if that always happened. But even if that does happen, is that supposed to be the only one you're connected with? That's crazy. Totally crazy. One, it puts a tremendous amount of pressure on your spouse. We as humans cannot be everything to one person. We, we can't. But the idea of a community is that we all have things that we have to offer. We have things that we bring to the table. And so if someone's hurting, there are lots of people that they should be able to go to and lean on and and receive from. And not the pity prayers. Good gosh, no, not the pity prayers. But actual love and comfort like I got on that night with my friend, like, where is that part of our community? I think we're stepping more into that. I'm seeing more and more of that becoming a reality, but yet it's still, like I said, it's mixed with this thing of, I can only be vulnerable to a certain degree because if I expose too much, they're going to try to fix me. And so we have these walls built and nobody wants to be a project, right? So What's the cure? What's the answer? I think that we have to be honest about the way we're made. We're made to need. We are made to need. Teenagers are made to need. Young adults are made to need. Older people are made to need. We are all made to need. We need human touch. We need human connection. We need intimacy, not physical intimacy with everybody, but we do need intimacy with people. We need to feel close. We need to feel heard. We need to feel seen and we need to feel known because that's every person. Why do you think social media is as crazed as it is with selfies? Good golly. Why is it like me, 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 oversharing, oversharing on Facebook and a gazillion pictures of myself and my cat and my kids and why? Because we have a culture and a society of people who want to be seen. Are we not getting that? People don't feel seen. They don't feel known. And so the quick fix that they feel will fill up that hole in a little bit is if they put a picture of themselves on social media and they get likes, they feel seen. If they post about, you know, being sick and people respond with, I'm so sorry, you're not feeling well. What can we do? They feel seen. They feel a little bit of comfort, but it's momentary, which is why it never stops. Why there's so much self stuff on social media because people are hungry for connection and that's not a bad hunger we're made with that hunger no nothing is wrong with them the only thing that's wrong is that they they're not in a position whether because they are shamed for it or because they just don't know how to cultivate it 
whatever the reason may be, they're not in a position where they have that in their community. And that is so sad. We can be a voice of change for that. And it doesn't start with you, you know, bearing your soul to every person you've ever met. It doesn't start like that. It starts one by one. It starts by, okay, I need to be seen. I need to be known and to feel not judged there and to feel safe there, to not feel like a project there. I need to have people that when life gets crappy, I have someone to hold my hand or hold me through it while I cry. We need that. We should not have to like crawl into a corner of a wall to feel someone holding us. We shouldn't. That should not be. And so whatever your community looks like, I encourage you to dig into it. Look for, look for the safe ones. Look for the people who you feel like you could really be exposed to and try to cultivate a more intimate friendship with them. Try to cultivate a more um, real connection with them. And if you look around and you don't see anybody like that who wouldn't try to fix you or judge you or shame you or correct you, well, maybe you need to find a different community. Because what is community if you're not able to be you? That's not really community. That's like high school all over again. No, thank you. Right? Like we can do better than that. We can be better than that. And we can, I truly believe if one by one we stepped up and we actually allowed permission and space for people to be exposed and people to be real and allowed intimacy to be a part of that without fear, letting go of, oh my gosh, what if people think they're too codependent because they're too close to friends or, oh my gosh, what if, you know, they're single and they're a guy and a girl and they end up having sex? Oh my gosh. What if, right? Like, what if you didn't have to worry about that? What if it's not your job to worry about that? What if God's big enough, right, to worry about that? What if instead we let go of fear, we don't let go of wisdom, but let go of fear and allowed people to be ugly at times, allowed people to be messy at times, and we allowed ourselves to admit that we're messy too. And that our life isn't perfect either. And that we need to. I think one by one, one friendship like that at a time can produce so much health and good in those two people. It could be a real big instrument of change in our world, really. I mean, if our communities could embrace that way of thinking and it felt safe to be seen and known. It'd be a totally different place. Totally different place. So I'm going to wrap this episode up. If this resonated with you, I'd love to hear from you. Um, and if it resonated with you to a point where you want to keep talking, you want to keep the conversation going, share this with a friend. Share That's what I want this, truthfully, it's what I want a lot of this to stir in you is, is, conversation that you can have outside of our space here outside of just you and me but 
to where you could share this episode with a friend and you guys can talk more about it and you guys can share it with other friends and you can talk more about it. Um, these are conversations that are real and that need to have place and space to be in. So thank you for joining. Thank you for, um, being a part of this journey with me. I love you and I hope you were encouraged. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. I would love to connect with you further. You can find me and links to my Facebook and Instagram accounts on my website, justajesusfollower.com. I hope you join us next time for more honest, real, and sometimes raw conversation. See you then. Peace.